Dang, we have w- one more week until until the big time. I know. <laughs> How many times can we go big time? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota. We're going to be talking soccer, talking life, playing games, playing mind games. we got a little something for you. If you haven't yet, throw us a foot- follow on Instagram at Footy Fellas Pod, F-O-O-T-Y Fellas Pod on Instagram. Premier League's coming back June 17th, 10 days from now. It's happening. Big it's time. It's happening. Ba-ba-ba-ba, big time. Big time. Big time. Big time. Big time. Big time. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, f- first game back, Aston Villa, Sheffield United. Aston Villa, five L's just right next to their name. <laughs> coming on, yeah, coming on hot. Five-game losing streak. There, there's <laughs> that game and then the antithesis of Aston Villa, Sheffield, which is Man City Arsenal. Same, same first day yes, back on yes. that Wednesday. Correct. That's going to be... Much more hype around that game. It's actually pretty big for Aston Villa. There's kind of a sneaky good relegation battle that will happen. I'm um, assuming that the rest of the games are all played out where there's three teams tied on 27 points for the 18th spot, which is the you know uh, best relegation slot. You get relegated, but the best out of the three. Um, so those three teams are all fighting to not get relegated. And then Aston Villa is in 19th in the second relegation spot, but they have 25 points. They're only two points back. Mm. They could rack up a few wins. They the might best themselves. relegation spot. You are the best loser <laughs> of all teams. Yeah, that's that's sore. That's that's not something you want to win. No. I do think that there's something special about um, having a league where like, like where, where you have like a great enticing relegation battle and also one, uh, you know, an enticing race for the top. And I, I feel like we haven't had that in a little while. Um, are compelling, okay, who's the best, who's playing to be the best, and then who is willing to scrap it out for, for the final spots. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting. I agree. Um, I think, yeah, it's going to be for that those Champions League spots that are going to be where that fight happens at the top. Right. And even then, it's like, what, what are you really celebrating there? Like, okay, yes, we got fourth. Woo! I mean, it's cool <laughs> well, if you get... it means Champions it, League. It, it does. And it means Champions League if you are if you are Wolves. If you are a team that you don't have the expectation of getting there, then it's even more. It's it's really remarkable. But when you are a quote-unquote top six team and you are... Like, if you're United, which I, I will be celebrating when I get fourth, but I will think to myself, what a low, low bar to be hitting if you're trying to actually not just go to the Champions League, but you want to be winning Champions League. You know? Yeah, like that. It's, it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag. But I agree that is the next. Like that's what I will be watching most closely. Selfishly, out of the three of us, I will be watching how Chelsea and United jockey for that fourth position. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what do you think, how, What do you feel if you're a Tottenham Arsenal eighth, eighth and ninth right now? I mean, that's got to be a pretty disheartening spot to be in. 
You know, I feel like I'd be pretty optimistic. I'm, I'm hopeful. You know, people have had rest. The team's been able to recuperate. We've been able to, I, I think one thing I want to throw into the mix here is like, whatever form you may have had, although Ashton Villa may be off, coming off five L's, I feel like form is out the window at this point. Yeah. Everyone has yeah, had time definitely. on their own and potentially could come back with a new vim and vigor that they needed to rejuvenate their season. Um, I think you have to look, you have to, regardless of who you are, you have to look at, at this beginning with some optimism, but judging at how Bundesliga has gone, it feels like the people who are better win and the people who are worse lose. And that's just kind of how it is. The status quo is maintained. Yeah. Maybe it's different, but that's, that's kind of the jive I'm getting. I think there are larger expectations. Those same teams that are always find themselves near the top where fans expect that. And like you said, Jones making to the champions league, it's whatever. But there's also the resetting of expectations every week and then also at longer standstills like this where you have to recalibrate. And for a Tottenham or Arsenal fan, it would be massive to make it back in the Champions League, you know, where they're right now they're only two points back, I guess, of Wolves in the sixth spot if that spot ends up uh, playing a factor. And if they reel off a couple wins, like that'd be super exciting end of the end of the season. People would forget that they came in sixth and but made Champions League. Um kind of like how we're taught to reset expectations in life you know going to your new job deliver a couple not just one deliver a couple of bad presentations Mm. so when it comes to improving and Mm. kind of building a rapport with Mm. your colleagues Mm. then you can continue to give better Mm. presentations and that could that's only because you reset expectations reset expectations with bad presentations that rhymes for a reason it's also it's why liverpool fans are so excited that they're about to win something for the first time right because they set the bar so low for the past 30 years that it's like oh you know what like we're about to win something this is the end of the world this is amazing but hey that's just because they set the bar yeah 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 (laughs) it's all about setting your own bar like in the law profession Mm, i see i see care to elaborate on how in the law profession setting your own bar is important uh, yeah, as the non-lawyer that I am, um, setting the bar in law is is so important because the judge in these cases just looks at you like you don't know anything. Maddie's giving me the eye. She thinks I'm a moron. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I was just referring to the bar exam. Yeah, the bar exam is important. Got to pass. Yeah, definitely pass. That. Except in Wisconsin. No bar. No bar? They don't even set a low bar on purpose? Well, actually, I take that back. If you go to school, if you go to law school in Wisconsin, you do not have to take the bar. Wow. That's how it stuff. is. They have no standards there. It's the wild north, west, north. If we, just, north. if we helped one person listening to this podcast that was trying to, that came here to help determine their law school path, and they were looking for answers, searching for answers, just asking for a sign. And they decided to listen to us today. Maybe go to school in, in uh, Wisconsin. Shocking yep. number of people who who come to listen to law to our pod. I might have to take a quick hot hot take and uh, just make a prediction for the first game back. Aston Villa Sheffield. Yeah, I think Villa takes it two one. Uh, is it home or does have they, home. have they listed home or it's home? They're at home, and you know Jack Grealish is such a star. And fun fact, he was the most—he uh, was the player who got fouled the most in the league. Uh, he probably—I mean—that stat still stays same season, I, I imagine. Uh, but you know, he's taking some all these time, all these weeks to recover. 
think that does wonders for him. Maybe Doesn't... maybe other players are less pissed off as well. Whatever he was doing that really got them going. Maybe they. Oh no! I think he's going to get tackled like every play. <laughs> <laughs> look, if I was playing against a guy who looked as good as he did, and he also made me look physically as bad as I do on on the field, I would I would hate him as well. That's fair. I'm on board with two one prediction. I could book that in the in the bank. I, I don't like- think Aston Villa is going to get relegated this year. Maybe I can, maybe maybe it's me just not wanting them to. I don't want them to. I agree. I want there there need to be there are some teams and it's purely based on the name and maybe like my the rec- name recognition. Yeah, definitely that. Um, but there's some teams when when I hear that they are in the Premier League, I'm like, oh okay, like I'm game with them staying around a year or two. And then there's some teams who come up. Uh, um, like Huddersfield, and I'm like, no, that, like what? No, that's not a <laughs> Premier League name. Like, get that out of here. What is that doing here? Um, Aston Villa's defense has been really porous. I'm just looking at their goals for and against. They've given up 56 goals, which is for sure the most in the league against. Yeah, and they've actually scored. They they do all right offensively. They're only a couple of teams with one or two more goals for in the bottom 10 from 10 through 20. Uh, Burnley all the way down to to Norwich. They, their defense just gives up so many goals. I feel like every time I see their scoreline, they've lost like four to two against anyone, not just like Man City. I feel like that, that I would want to examine their team. The only player I can think of that's noteworthy in their back line, top of my head, would be no, they have Cre- no, 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 that's West Ham. They uh, but they have Tyrone Mings, Mings you know, yeah, that's, that's you know, and and when when I think about these teams that are likely to get relegated, doesn't mean that they will be for certain. I think guys like Tyrone Mings. John McGinn and Jack Grealish all, all are coming back to the Prem and just different teams. And so if anything, selfishly as a United fan, of course, I'm thinking about myself and, you know, who do we pluck from these teams to, to, to bolster ours? And hence, you know, United's interest in, in Grealish. Yeah, but. you've been eyeing Grealish for the season, I feel like, Jonesy. Absolutely. I mean, after he, he came into United and put that wonder goal up and yeah i'll show you guys highlights in a little bit if you have forgotten <laughs> he's uh he's definitely staying on the radar yeah he's very very talented and he seems to just move on the field with such ease and you know effortlessness that uh, i always find that in a player a player that can do that is pretty pretty impressive you know they they're very talented it's a natural natural for sure run through some quick storylines in last week today in case you missed it one you definitely should not have missed that we've talked about a bit on on last episode as well protests are continuing all across america and worldwide in the fight for justice for george floyd as well as against systematic inequality a lot of great resources out there we're excited to uh, help donate to an organization in Minnesota, and we'll put a post about that shortly, hoping to get all of you involved and and kind of spread the word and spread resources as well. So look out for that. Second storyline, back to sports. Conor McGregor has announced his retirement for the third time in four years, however. So we'll see what happens. And I don't even remember him retiring previously or faux, faux retiring, a la Brett Favre, a la... Yeah, keep going. No, this is great. I'm not helping. Brett Favre. Oh, yeah, that guy. <laughs> uh, last storyline: Premier League re- is returning, as we've talked about on June 17th. Uh, Man City versus Arsenal on the docket for that Wednesday, as well as Aston Villa 
Sheffield. And we've put in our picks for Aston Villa, 2-1. to one. What do you guys think, Man City, Arsenal? Arsenal, Arsenal loses by an ungodly amount, uh, concedes uh, an egregious amount of goals in the first three minutes, a new record for the Prem, uh, uh, prompting Arsenal to forfeit the rest of the season out of shame. Is that too strong? Was that too strong? I think wow, it may that might have been the hottest. So, six, six five or. <laughs> um, you think that's a hot take, I see. For Arsenal to bow out of the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's pretty hot. Um, I'd say I say a three one Man City. Where where is the game? It's in it's in City. It's at Etihad. At the Etihad. Um, I, I do think I, I really am going to be very, very interested to see what it's like when people come back from yeah. this time off and how that's going to affect playing style. But but more importantly, I think a lot of like these teams are going to have a lot of energy. And so you're going to see two teams that are very, they're quality, but you know, they're not hampered that theoretically they shouldn't be hampered. They should be playing at full tilt. And it feels like Arsenal at full tilt, any, any team that theoretically should be in the, in of the big six clubs that is fully armed should make it a very competitive game, at least back and forth. A lot of athleticism in the first half, second half, maybe things open up a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if City only pulled away with like a 1-0 or a 2-1 win. To be to be honest, Diane. Okay. Well, I think we we agree that City's probably going to win. Yeah, I, I also feel a City win. To predict otherwise would be more of just a throwing throwing caution to the wind than rational prediction. But I there are two forces. One is energy that everyone has now from having a break. The other is kind of sluggishness of not being in mid-season form potentially. So it'll be interesting to see just the pace of play and the movement of guys on the field and how both of those play a role. Yeah, I am curious also to see how they, you know, if either team reacts more or less to fans. You know, are City going to be a little underwhelming without fans at their stadium? Um. <laughs> Have they ever had fans at their stadium? Ooh. I think uh, I think uh, I think the fan situation is is more heightened, and this is back to my the Bundesliga insight from from what we've kind of seen over the past couple of weeks. A lot of these teams that are on paper worse than the better teams seem to be getting more disproportionately beaten because they don't have a crowd behind them giving them that X factor that they may need to carry them through uh, with adrenaline in times when they would normally just be beaten. And so, yeah, I do think without a crowd there, a team that is theoretically on paper will not do as well. I don't think City needs the crowd um, because they've been playing the past 10 years without one. So clearly they've been (laughs) fine. Well, we might touch on that more in our main topic, which we'll get to in a second, talking about from our perspectives as a player at different levels, what is the most important thing to have a successful team and to be a part of a successful team. Maybe it's crowd noise. Maybe it's the energy the crowd gives you. That's now your argument that you have to make Jones. So me and I see kind of have some freedom in what we want to speak to, but I guess we'll see where you go with that. No, it's strictly crowd noise, strictly crowd noise. So <laughs> excited. Going to hit our first sponsor as always really appreciate our sponsors. They make this pod possible and we'll be back with that interesting discussion.
Imagine owning the world's greatest heavy metal love songs by the greatest headbangers of our time. In a once-in-a-lifetime collection, Free Spirit Music presents the Ultimate Heavy Metal Love Songs Collection. 74 beautiful, face-melting songs by all our favorite artists like I Ache for Your Grace by Triple Nine, The Last Kiss by Uppercut, <laughs> I'm Hooked on Your Love by Devil's Anus. <laughs> Jam out to all-time greats like Holding Hands Again by Tire Fire. Lend Me Love, Dear Lady by Steamed Asparagus. Roses Remind Me of You by Scream Bleach. Get the ultimate heavy metal love songs collection on three discs for just $22.99. So you can listen to One Heart by Twisted Doorknob. Sunsets and Sunrises by Christ Punch. Looking for My Last Love by Grunge. Call 1-800-WHAT-SPOTIFY to make your order now. Sounds like a bargain. Sorry, that sounds like a bargain. It's a steal. It's definitely a steal punch to the gut. But that that's what we do for love. Wow. Do they Are they selling a lot of these de- CDs uh, around uh, Valentine's Day? Oh, that's where they make most of their money, yeah. Valentine's Day and Halloween, interestingly enough. Um uh, but you know, again, thankful for their sponsorship. Uh, we will probably play some of their music in the background just to soothe. Cool band uh, names. Oh, very cool, very original, original. Christ, Christ Punch. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's more like more like Fruit Punch, or it's kind of a it's more from the religious angle. Well, it was a spinoff of the original band Godsmack, so it's um, it's kind of their their second phase. Oh. And doorknob? That's a <laughs> okay. It's oh, twisted doorknob. Yeah, twisted doorknob. They they made it big in the Netherlands back in uh, the eighties. Um, known for their their romantic love songs. Yes. Um, uh, I think I think scream 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 bleach and uh, entire fire never really took off in the U.S. But uh, it's nice that they include some of those lesser known bands because I feel like too often in mainstream music. They just get shut out of the conversation, but they definitely deserve a place in the Shred Fest. Thank you. Absolutely. You know, on the in the Shred Hall of Fame. It's yes, everyone knows of Devil's Anus. You know, everyone knows of Uppercut and Triple Knot. Um, and frankly, Steamed Asparagus has been at the top for forever. Some would say too long. Some would some would say too long. Twisted Doorknob and Christ Punch need a need a re re-uppance. Going to get into our main topic. We were reflecting on our interview with Tim and as he talked about from the coach's perspective, what's so important to him in building flow and identity of the teams he coaches and how that therefore leads to success. We wanted to chat about from our experience as a player and from that perspective, if that's what the coach is bringing, what do we see as most important for building success on a team, whether it's something we're actively doing kind of subconsciously as the team is forming and coming together. I'm curious to get each of your thoughts on what the most important factors are for creating that successful team. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a, it's a good question. It's a good topic to discuss. Um, I'll, I'll take a swing at it first. And I think back to my traveling club team, my junior year of high school, 
I was on this team. Evan Pankin was on this team with me as well. Um, <clears throat> guest of the pod. Guest of the pod. Yes. And we had a good coach. Um, he was Brazilian born. Great coach. Being a Brazilian coach, we worked every day at practice. Um, it was emphasized all the time. Um, possession and, uh, right, we always did possession drills and training. And it was always, every drill was focused on getting the ball at your feet and, you know, very quickly, very decisively, a couple touches, get it off your feet and, you know, let's keep going. And I think, I think the one thing that really led to this team being really successful um, and can and really leads to success on on really any team is every player every player on that team had a, a certain amount of comfort when they had the ball at their feet and that was super important even I've been on teams where defenders the team even everyone on the team knows that the defender is a little shaky and that doesn't instill confidence in the other players and so when the ball goes back to that defender people are like oh god please do something quick or make, <laughs> make a decisive decision because we're, we're a little nervous right now that you have it. So it was really important. Everyone was really comfortable with the ball, um, which, which really that confidence, that underlying foundational confidence was really great for the team. Obviously, as we played more games together and practiced more, the team chemistry grew. Um, and the other thing too that really helped with the success of that team, which I think is important for a successful soccer team, is we had a couple standouts. Evan Pankin for sure was a standout. Um, my my good friend Mikey, um, who played on that team as well in the midfield position alongside Evan, was a standout, and we had a standout striker. So we had a few standout players where, if they had the ball, the team felt better with them on the ball. Um, movement was made. You knew they'd make a good decision with, with the ball. You know, they'd find you, they saw everything. So I think two things, a combination of players being very comfortable when they have the ball at their feet and a couple of just leaders who just by them performing well consistently <clears throat> gets, um, just leads the team. To Love it. Love it, dude. I, I agree. I, you, those are, those are critical aspects that um, I feel like any team needs, needs to have. And, and I would, I perhaps I would bubble up the skill aspect to be, you know, the, you, your team needs a collective um, ability. Um, uh, like, you know, there, there's a shared like bottom or weakest link. And if you have a team where you have players, you can't really play on the ball, for example, um, that can, that can, very physically feel like you are missing an aspect. I'm conversely, you could say, you know, we have a very physical team. So we always wanted to have a really big, um, aggressive kind of set. I think of like an Amherst, for example. Yeah. Like that's also a mindset, a, a physical thing that feels great. And it's comfort. Um, and from the, from the other side, um, uh, you, you do need it. You need objective talent. You know, if you, if you want quote unquote success, you do need playmakers. People who are going to make a difference. Um, I, I agree with that. And I think you can argue around that and say, well, if you're building a team, it's agnostic of the player, but, but that's not really true. You kind of need, you do need objective talent to compete at certain levels. So completely agree. The thing I would throw into the mix too, um, that was a big factor for me was I feel like any team that was really successful had a very strong, um, um, interrelationship. The, the team really got along very well and it, um, 
and I really think from it's from more from a scholastic perspective, perhaps, where you have a range of ages. But it's important that the people who are newest to the team feel just as comfortable as people who have been on the, there on the team as long as people who've been there for you know the longest time. Um, so so it's kind of developing that rapport between the players where they feel comfortable um, and uh, and empowered to try things and do things and um, are never scared of um, speaking their their voice as well as playing their game in front of others. Um, so it's it's creating an atmosphere that allows that kind of fertile ground. I think it's how you create that atmosphere that begins to shift between ages and then shifts between talent levels because you will get to a point where you see in like professional levels, I assume, where it isn't everybody holds everybody's hand because everybody there is already amazing. You know, you have different ways that you can help create that combined, united comfortability with one another all the while balancing, well, how do I keep competition up so that people make the others better? Um, but as this conversation evolves, I feel like my submission into this is um, you need a, you need a collective unity. You need a, a, a comfort in being oneself with one another, um, or at least you understand each other's expectations and you're, you're comfortable meeting them. I agree yeah. with both of the, both of the comforts, comfort, within the team outside of the pitch and then also comfort on the pitch, which you mentioned, I see. Do you have something you want to throw in there? No, I totally second the, the bonds and friendship between team, the team, the teammates uh, is super important. Yeah. I have a couple of, of itties I want to throw in there. Accountability and identity. It sounded weird trying to get it work in the itty. Um, but between accountability and identity, it's part of what you guys said, but I think the accountability piece, it lessens blows to any of the stuff that we've talked about and other factors to success when there is that accountability that does stem from the team being close together, does stem from people feeling comfortable with themselves on the pitch and actually you know, everyone feeling comfortable to play and possess. But having that accountability that is just expected and everyone kind of holds each other accountable for, you know, meetings, for caring about the team, for working hard in practices, pushing each other, uh, working back in games on defense, that accountability, if you can build that up to a strong enough point, things that challenge the comfort level on the field, things that challenge uh, demands off of the field, the schoolwork, the, you know, things that might tear the team apart, certain debates, issues, things like that. If you have strong enough accountability, all of those are feel more protected almost with that layer of accountability because everyone cares enough about each other to hold each other accountable. And then I think the identity piece is similar to what Tim said from the coach's perspective, I think to have that accountability, to have the leadership, to have the identity that you need to have as a team, whether it's playing physical, possessing, however you as a team want to put forward your best effort and, and give yourself the best shot for success. That identity is really unlocked by the coach in a sense or whoever, whatever type of team it is. If it's a rec team, if it's a, uh, you know, just team among friends, Sunday league team, whoever are the, are the people in charge that people look to for information, advice, direction, that person needs to be the one unlocking 
everything we've talked about today. And the people that do that the best are the coaches in the world, like Pep, Klopp, Alt Ferguson, Ranieri when he was on Leicester. It's coaches where the players love playing for those coaches. So when it comes time to place blame, they don't instinctively put it on the coaches, which is so easy when you're a player to say like, oh, we were put in the wrong formation. We haven't been working on the right stuff in practice. When you have players that have great relationships with coaches, that's where the players look at themselves first and think, how can we be better? They look to each other and have conversations with each other. So I think accountability, identity in those two ways also are key factors for success. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. And you know, one thing I was thinking about just now, I, I was on this, this team and the coach, there was, we had a, a, a teammate, there was a player on the team who was very skilled, very good, didn't have a good relationship with the coach and would voice it a lot. And it really was like a weird energy throughout the team. It wasn't good. <laughs> and, uh, it, this coach was interesting, good coach, solid coach, but during training, we would do the oddest uh, scenario, like cone drills and stuff. We'd do the weirdest drills that none of us had ever done before. And, uh, you know, it just it made me think the Brazilian coach that I had on the team I described, very, found, you know, just basic, square, square off a section of field, possess. And this other coach would do these just very just a, a maze of all these cones and like it, it take 10 minutes just to describe how to run through the cones. It was, <laughs> and I'm just thinking out loud that, you know, you don't need to be some mathematical wizard with drills to teach players like very, I don't know. It just seemed like a very too much, too much. And really it's got to be foundational and just, just love the game and, and focus on, um, this really ties into comfort players having comfort with the ball at their feet. Keeping yeah. it simple. Yeah. Just keeping, keeping it a bit simpler. simpler. There's definitely, there's a balance between what, what you can do tactically. Um, if we're talking identity and your style on the field, like that doesn't feel like it comes into existence until later on, as you get more advanced, and you're actually able to do a little bit more things. Um, but what, what is, what is a little more, um, important with everyone's um you could just take the lid off what what also becomes a lot more uh, important with uh all of these teams and their just general success is their belief and willingness to compete and that that is like at the crux of it like how how much are you willing to fight for it even when you're not perhaps in the best form or the best physical feeling or under the best circumstances, AKA rainy night at Stoke, right? If you are in those circumstances, a team like Liverpool this year has shown that they will still win because they do collectively believe and they believe in one another and they believe in what they're doing. And that to an extent is you can merge that into identity, but the point is it is their accountability and, and believing in what they are doing and enjoying it and wanting to compete and get more and more and more and better and better. And there's like a, it's just when you're coaching, I almost want to propose it to you guys. If you guys were inheriting a run of the mill team, we'll call it a high school, you know, you're, you're coaching a high school team right now. And it's a team that's not going to win state at the most, at the highest degree of difficulty. You're dealing with a team that might be mid-level, but could win maybe your little immediate league, your little league of local teams, and then potentially go a couple rounds into, into the state playoffs. 
what are you guys going to focus on to help that team succeed? What are the first things that you are going to address you feel are important to that team's success? And when you think of those things, are those things, how do those things differ from what you might approach if you're top four prem team? For me, for example, I am really focused on, I need to make sure this team collectively is on the same page that I'm on. There needs to be an open dialogue. They need to believe what I'm saying and what I'm saying they should do with their full-throated abilities. doesn't matter how good they are. We'll, we'll get there in a bit. Let's focus on, on competing and doing it the right way. And then we can start building out the things after that. What extent do you guys agree with that, disagree with that? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I think, I think it, it's extremely important, obviously, at that age, too, to be um, you know, hundred percent behind, you know, everyone coming together for the, for the same goal, <clears throat> everyone on the same page. It's very important. And then the other thing too, I was going to add was comparing this high school team with a, a, a top four prem team. You know, you got, you got to assess, I would definitely try to assess the skill level, you know, granted, I know you had mentioned that, you know, this team's not going to win the state championship. So you have a, a an idea of the, of the skill level, but, um, yeah, maybe that does just, just chime and lead right back into what you're saying. As long as the team and, and, and you are on the same page of look, I don't think we're going to win state and that's totally fine, but we can do these things and we should go for it. And uh, yeah, Tim, Tim spoke to that really well, just the identity piece and then also the confidence piece, which I think, it, it's not crazy that it's that a lot of the same pieces are meaningful for players and for coaches or coaches that recognize that in players that the players need the confidence. And we, as players are saying we need the confidence. And so good coaches are working to build that confidence. And then also the identity, what you were saying, Jones of here's the style we want to play. Here's who we are, how we should be interacting with each other and caring for each other off the pitch and thinking about the game and holding each other accountable and building all that as a coach. And then more broadly for coaches and players, regardless of the level, success just builds on success. And whatever program you're running, Premier League, high school, rec league, if you have players that expect success, coaches that expect success, they expect a good relationship between each other because that's what's been modeled or they've heard of or they've seen just in results or actually being there. That's, a, that's the most powerful thing. So then it's initially, how do I build the success? Because I, it definitely feels easier to keep success going once you've set up what the model looks like and what that requires from everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. Success and success, you know, isn't, isn't given. Like that's the other tough part. I think a lot of people when they inherit teams or, or like as in they join a new team and it may be successful, there's, there's two ways you can kind of perceive that. And that is that the team is inherently successful. Therefore, I do not need to necessarily put myself into it as much. Which in some ways does give you this like wielded competence where like United of the late 90s and 2000s era, if you were coming to their grounds, you were immediately overwhelmed. You, you didn't matter what form they were in. You were not confident. And they inherently, because of their success, were more confident. There's there's that angle, but there's also the angle of coming in and knowing, look, I'm going to give myself, you know, put myself into this 100. percent 
And when I do that, we will succeed. And it's, it's that kind of energy, that kind of commitment that you see coming out of, um, I don't know, you have to say like Wolves or, uh, or Sheffield United. Teams with that are, uh, or no, no, let's do Leicester 2016. That team was a team that just hunted you down and ran and ran and ran and beat you on the counter. But they had a collective will. Talk about a coach that you definitely wanted to side with. I mean, there's Ranieri. He's but throwing pizza parties. But there's also, there's Jose Mourinho in 2005, 2006. You know, when he just came over from Porto, he was labeled the special one. But he was a guy, he was a man's player. Player's man's coach. Player, player's coach, player's yeah, man. man's player. He's a man's player, <laughs> if you know what I mean. He was a man's player. He played, he played man. Oh, yeah, I think the other thing too to be to be cognizant of is, you know, for the for the scenario of the high school team. <clears throat> you know, I think back nowadays when we talk about this to the discussion of why aren't U.S. why isn't U.S. soccer as good as other nations, Europe, South America, Asia, Africa, wherever, and you know, thinking about it that way and how much we we emphasize results. Maybe this high school team, you set the bar and just say, look. We're going to be the best we can be, win or lose. Doesn't matter. You guys are just going to, we're going to improve as a team, as a unit. Um, you know, it takes, it takes kind of a, a special understanding, however, from a high school team. If people care at all about winning, if they continue to lose, to then trust in the other pieces that you're preaching or believe in as a coach. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely would be hard to get people on board. Totally. I mean, like, like to, for example, um, if you, you know, if you have a team, like if you, uh, it, like you almost have to be a little gen- generic with, with what you might say, but, and I know we're getting very specific here, but when we're, when you're setting expectations for a team, it feels like if you want a successful team, what's important is that you set the standard for what putting effort looks like or what that standard of effort needs to be, that it doesn't matter the scoreline, and maybe you don't objectively say that because that almost has tinges of like, I know we suck, so let's just try our best because that just, as competitors, we wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't want to hear that. Rather, what I would appreciate is someone who says the stuff that like Kobe says or Jordan says. You got to love the work. You got to love and enjoy showing up for to play rondos before practice and take shots and play scrimmages. You got to love that stuff. You got to love the grind of of just playing when there is no scoreboard, when you're just able to play. Um, but it's setting the expectation with those with those players like, hey, I kind of need you to care about that. And if you're on this team and you don't care about playing, you don't care about the team, we, we are, we're going to suffer. The players who show up late, and again, this is getting high school specific, but like that's where you have the most leeway, I suppose. But the kids who show up late, the kids who forget the balls, forget the cones, Forget their jersey. Sounds like you just want to call out one former teammate. John. I'm talking about you, Christopher Wardocky. Wardocky. <laughs> Wardocky. <laughs> I haven't forgotten. You forgot your shin guards, and I got a yellow card for it. About it wearing cardboard, and the refs making a fool of me because of you, Wardocky. Wardocky. Wardocky's been a plague on my name. Anywho. I think, I think there's a collective belief and identity. Like there's like a, a back to what Eli has been saying. I, I love, I love those big two, those two tenants. 
accountability and identity. They feel you, you need to be accountable for what you're doing. And that accountability is built into that identity. That identity is like, first and foremost, we care. You need to care if you're showing up. And if you don't, don't show up at all. Accountability identity. Accountability. Yes. Check out my new book, Accountability where I tell you how to build a successful team. Idea for the pod, pod post, guys. Uh, every once in a while we post, it's just, uh, you know, the image is whenever you see like a word, if you're looking up a word, whatever it is, and it has like the, the pronunciation broken down and it has like the first syllable, bullet, second syllable, yep. and then you have the broken, you could do that. And we could have, it's a word we made up on the pod for that week or whatever. <laughs> and then we, then we list the definition below. Gonna make it happen. Just writing that down so I don't forget. Keeping myself accountable dental, you know? That's the that's the active pretense. <laughs> that's the active subvert. Past partible. Yeah. Well, great thoughts uh, all around. Appreciate the great discussion. And interested to hear, we'll have to pose this to all of our lovely FOFs to get their thoughts on what the single most important pieces of building team success are from a player's perspective. Going to head into our last segment, critically acclaimed over under, where Icy will be taking us through his topic and we will be rating it over, under, or just rated. All right. Today, our over under, very excited about, it's going to be Guinness World Records. Uh, Ooh, there are so many bizarre ones. We could do this every week for the rest of our lives and still have content <laughs> for this section. <laughs> it was so easy to find these. Uh, actually, it took me like 10 minutes to get these ones. So, very fun. I'm excited for it. Let's start with Eli and go uh, every other. All right. Over, underrated, or rated. Most roof tiles broken in one minute. Overrated. 923 tiles. I can do more. <laughs> I could absolutely do more. Wait, say how many again? 923. Yeah, I've done more. Not only could I do more, I've actually done more. That's definitely overrated. A wrecking I, ball? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through what the technique is, but I'm, I'm going to do it. Just move on to the next one. It's, that's done. All right, Jonesy. Fastest 100 meters on a skateboard by a dog. It was 19.67 seconds. Rated. <laughs> Rated. Everyone expects that. I, I was going to say, I was going to, well, well, how, how long was that? How fast was that? 100 meters in 19.67 seconds. I was going to say 19.5 feels like the standard. So that's, <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's a little overrated to be honest, but. Is, cool. that, a, is that 2009? Usain woof. <laughs> <laughs> Close. Um, okay, Eli, back to you. Most items kicked off people's heads in one minute. It was 59 items. I'll go underrated. That seems like a lot of items. <laughs> I'm curious whether the people are moving. If the person is like, you know, swing, move, swing, move. Or if the people just continue to run in front in a line on two sides, like two, <laughs> two lines. And this person is just 360 kicking, just like spinning around on one foot, kick, kick, kick. And people are continually replacing the, fir the first place person in line. You'd assume video is crucial for all of these. <laughs> yeah, the video for this, or the video, the picture, the image of this one was this woman. So it was a woman who 
it, she was very flexible. She was, it looked like students of hers, I don't know, were walking with these weird helmets that were like holding balls on their heads. And she would just like kick her foot up and it looked from the image, it looked like she was just swinging her foot up and kicking it off their head. You need, you definitely need flexibility for this one. Yeah. All right, Jonesy. Most pull-ups in 24 hours. When I tell you this number, I don't even think I can count this high. 3,737 pull-ups. What? In 24 24 hours? hours? Yes. I don't know how you do that. That's bananas. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say underrated. I mean, I don't know how you physically twenty four hours underrated, underrated, I, underrated. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs> All right, Eli. This is another wild one. Uh, in, I think wildly impressive, but we'll see. Most one finger push ups in thirty seconds, and it was forty one push ups. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's underrated. Anything, anything. Is it one, two? That's that'd be underrated. One finger. Like Do you get it, one finger on both hands, or is it one? Yeah. Ooh, that is a good question. I think it's it one on both. Hands. Yeah, it has to be. Has to be. <laughs> has to be. Either way, underrated. All right. Agreed. <laughs> All right, Jonesy. Fastest one hundred meter hurdles wearing swim fins took fourteen point eight two seconds. I can't even comprehend what you just told me. <laughs> Could, what? Okay. Okay. So you're, you're doing hundred meter hurdles on the track, but you're wearing yeah. swim fins. Oh, oh, I see. The so flopping, it's those flippy floppy shoes. And under, what was the time? 14.82 seconds. Uh, overrated. I feel like you should be able to do that <laughs> probably in 12 flat. Um, but that, I mean, obviously it depends if you have a headwind or not. Um, if you're, if you know, depends if you're underwater or not. Yeah. If you're one of them amphibian boys, but <laughs> cool. All right. Underrated. Okay. okay. Overrated. Have you ever done hurdles before in your life? Okay. Eli, the oldest gymnast still competing today is 86 years old. That's rated. That feels about right. That would have been where my guess was to be honest with someone <laughs> in their eighties. Um, I don't know what level of competition they're at. If I saw them at the Olympics, That'd be super underrated, but what I'm assuming, I'll put it at rated. I have to say the picture of this 86-year-old woman uh, was nuts. She's doing a, yeah, she's pretty much holding herself up. She's doing a a handstand on the bars um, at 86 years old. Very cool. Very impressive. All right. Last one, Jonesy. Heaviest vehicle pulled over 100 feet. It weighed 218,000 pounds. Um, like by a person, a single person? Is that yes. what? Yes. Yeah. That's, I don't know, like rated. <laughs> I feel like I could pull that probably. <laughs> like if you give me enough time, like if I thought about it, if I wanted to do it. If you trained for it. If I like really like put my mind to it. <laughs> I'm sure I could. I'm sure I know I could do it. I think you could do it downhill, Jones. I think that's where you. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like if I put my mind to it and thought, okay, if we put it on a hill (laughs) and I was running fast enough. (laughs) Then you'd do it. You'd beat that record. Smash the record. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Challenge accepted. (laughs) There you have it. Over under Guinness World Records. Thanks, guys, for playing.
great, great choice, I see, and wonderful choices that we might we might just have to to take on in a future episode or video. Uh, with that, that is the end of our episode, episode fifteen. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, follow us on Instagram. We do have a special collaboration we're excited about that we're going to post about on Instagram soon. So check that out, get involved. And as always, thanks for being one of our wonderful FOFs. We'll be back next week. Adios. See you next week. Jam out to all-time greats like holding hands again by Tire Fire. Lend Me Love, Dear Lady by Steamed Asparagus. <laughs>